Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, and we want to welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus. If you come every week, I'm really glad to see you back again. We're just about finished with a series called Mountain Monologues, which is a series about the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, um, I just realized this this past week, that the Sermon on the Mount's over. I mean, there are four more weeks in the series, but the actual Sermon on the Mount is over. Jesus came to a point at the very end of his message, which I call the so what. Jesus basically had told us 17 things that we're supposed to do. And then my question when I get to the end of a sermon or the end of a Bible reading is, so what? What does this have to do with me? What am I supposed to do about this? And what Jesus is going to do today in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, and all the way to the end in the next three weeks after this, is he's going to give us some choices. He's going to say, you've heard everything I've said, now what are you going to do about it? Because that's the so what. Here's what you can do. You can go this way or that way. You can be this kind of a person or that kind of a person. You can actually, you know, enter into my kingdom or not. You can live a life that's going to be stable uh, for the rest of your life, no matter what comes into it or not. So basically, it's either or. Jesus is going to tell us that we are supposed to be a certain way and do certain things for the rest of our lives as a result of his Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't been here, and maybe you don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is about, we've started in Easter, and we've talked now about 17 different things. I'm not going to go over all of them, but he talked about the Beatitudes, which were simply ways that we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. And then he talked about being salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. That's how we're supposed to live out there in the real world. And then he told us a bunch of things that really seem impossible. He said we should never get angry at somebody else. He said that we should not have lust in our heart ever. He said that we should basically not get upset when people hurt us. He said that we should love our enemies. And then finally, as if none of those were hard enough, he said, be perfect like God is perfect. (laughs) Easy task, right? We can't do any of those things. And then Jesus offered us these core practices of giving, praying, and fasting. And then he talked a little bit more about why God should be first in our lives. And then he talked a little bit more about prayer. And finally, last week, as we saw, as we were in chapter 7, he talked about um, summing up the whole Testament by giving us the golden rule. And oh, yes, he did tell us we shouldn't judge other people unless we're willing to say, take the same judgment upon ourselves that we give to other people. So... Now what Jesus is going to do today, next week, next week, next week, four weeks, he's going to offer us the opportunity to see how God is going to judge us. And Jesus never expects us to do what he commands us in our own power. He expects us to do it once we have received his power through being born again. That's such an important thing, that all the things we've talked about, none of us can do them unless we are born again from the inside out, unless we become new people. You know, all the world's religions call us to do something. In fact, most world religions call us to do a lot of some things to be considered faithful. Jesus calls us to believe in him because only then will we be transformed from the inside out. Any of us, I said this last week, but I want to say it again. Any of us can make ourselves Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or even atheists, but only Jesus can make us his. Many people think being a Christian means following hundreds of rules. Do this, don't do that. That's how you're supposed to live your life. And the reality is, the truth is being a Christian means giving up ownership of our lives to Jesus. And even that can sound like something that we do, right? But yielding ourselves to Jesus is more about Jesus than it is about us. 
The difference between Jesus and religion is religion is about what we do while following Jesus is about what he has already done. Think about that. Have you assumed that following Jesus means more about what you do? Or, or maybe you've gotten over that. Maybe what you've said is, uh, you know, maybe you think this. I know I don't have to do anything. In fact, once I trust in Jesus, I can do whatever I want. There were some Christians in a place called Rome back in the first century. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them, and you know what he said? Some of you are saying, let me just sin because God likes to forgive sin. I like to sin. A pretty good deal, right? Let's sin so God's grace can abound. And what Paul said, God forbid, how can we who have been delivered from sin, died to sin is what he said, continue to live in it? So here's the thing. When Jesus gives us a new life, he does it so we get to live in the Holy Spirit's power. One of my favorite definitions of the gospel of G or Jesus' good news comes from a man named Tim Keller who said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. If you think that you're so bad that God could never love you, you're believing one of the devil's lies. The truth is we are sinners right to the very core of our lives, more so than we could ever dare to believe. But we don't have to do anything for God to love us. Not only don't we have to do anything for God to love us, Jesus has already done everything to make it possible for us to receive God's love in our lives. When we read all that Jesus expects of us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and the first part of 7, we realize that he expects the impossible if it relies on us. But it doesn't rely on us. Jesus offers us new lives through his perfect life. No one has ever lived a perfect life on earth except for Jesus Christ. And then his death. He died in our place so we don't have to pay the penalty of death that we owed God because we're all sinners. Then he rose from the dead, which shows that he truly is God's son. Returned to heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit so we can live in him up until he returns and we get to experience God's presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity with him. Now, Jesus does expect something from us. Actually, he expects everything from us because he gave everything to us. Having laid out the kind of life that he expects us to live after we receive the gift of new life, Jesus offered us four different images, as I said, of what it means to respond to or reject his offer. The first one we're gonna look at today, and it is called simply the image of the wide and narrow gates. Before we turn to Matthew 7, 13, and 14 and read about that, let's look at our take-home point, which gives, and for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point I'm going to make from the scriptures that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. It shows us what it means to apply Jesus' vision as we live each day, and here it is. Walking through the narrow gate means leaving some baggage behind. You might have noticed there's a little bit of baggage here, luggage, I guess we could call it. And I want you to picture that you're at the airport or a train station, bus station, and you come to the turnstile, and you have all of this stuff. Now, if you're going to get through the turnstile, what do you have to do? Leave some stuff behind, right? In fact, to get through a narrow turnstile, Jesus says it's a narrow way, we have to actually leave all the stuff behind. And I want you to picture that. I want you to picture yourself loaded down with all that stuff, a suitcase, a carry-on, a a backpack and a briefcase. That's a lot of stuff, right? Picture yourself burdened with all of that stuff and now you come to the narrow gate. And, and what are you gonna do? Do you wanna go through it? Or do you wanna keep your stuff? Let's pray. 
God, we thank you so much that Jesus didn't just give us impossible things to do, but he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died on the cross to save us, rose from the dead, and then sent your spirit into us so that we can live the things that he told us to do every single day. And God, as we approach that narrow gate and the narrow way, I pray that you will empower us by your spirit to let go of the baggage of our lives and that we will walk through it with joy. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what Jesus said. If you have your mountain monologues, uh, study guide, it's on page 49. It says this, enter through the narrow gate because wide is the gate and broad the way leading to destruction and many are those entering through it. For narrow or small is the gate and compressed the way leading into life and few are the ones who are finding it. So Jesus' picture is crystal clear, right? The way to hell doesn't have any turnstiles. If this is the wide way, there's no turnstile over there. You can take all the baggage you want. And I don't even think there's any baggage charge fees. You know how when you go to the airport and you have to pay 30 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever, you use Spirit, the cheap airline, and then they charge you for carrying on your briefcase? You know, but there's no charges on the way that leads to destruction. In fact, you could take everything you want. And, and the reality is Jesus said that way, lots of people are finding that way. So I'm going to share three strange ideas that American Christianity has developed when it comes to relating to this following Jesus in the wide way or the narrow way. So here's the first one. It's strange idea number one. If you follow Jesus, your life will be easy and you will get everything you ever wanted. That's a strange idea. If you actually read Matthew 7, 13, and 14, where in there does it say it's going to be easy? Where does it say that, that, that you're going to have, you know, always have a good time? In fact, doesn't it say the opposite of that? The easy way is the way that leads to hell. The easy way is the way that is not crowded. Even though millions and millions of people are on it, it's so wide and so easy that, that it's not crowded. Everybody's comfortable on that road. In fact, have you ever decided to follow Jesus with all your heart to do whatever he said in your life and then found it to be easy? I mean, maybe for a couple minutes, a couple weeks, but for your whole life, have you found it to be easy? Jesus said the gate leading to life is narrow or small. And once again, when we see that word life, we have to think about the reality that in the New Testament, there are three words that the Greeks used for life. One is bios. We get the word biology from it. It's just physical life. That's not what Jesus said. The narrow way doesn't just lead to biological life. There's the word suke or with P-S-Y, we use the word psychology. So it's sort of like this esoteric kind of thing. It's not that. But there's another word. It's called zoe. Zoe is God's life, the richness and fullness of God. And Jesus said the narrow way leads to that. Once we get onto that way, here's the thing. Once we leave our baggage behind and go through the turnstile, the road is still narrow. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the road is narrow forever until we get to be standing in front of Jesus one day. The road doesn't widen out as we get down the road a little bit and it becomes easier. It's always a narrow way. So it's not just a hard thing to start following Jesus and leave the wide road and come over to the narrow one. It's a hard thing all the way through the process. Now, why would Jesus, after preaching 17 things that are impossible for us to do in our own power, Tell us that if we actually trust him and get the new life that he offers, it's going to be hard for the rest of our lives. Why would he do that? Because here's why. Jesus always tells the truth. 
Thousands of people were standing or sitting around watching as Jesus brought his message to a close. His so what, his punchline was, this is going to be incredibly hard for a long, long time. So why do it? Why follow the compressed narrow way when so many are following the easy way, the way with no turnstiles, the way with glamour, with status, and all that our hearts might desire? Why would we not want that path when this one is so hard? The simple answer is in where the narrow path leads. It leads to Zoe. It leads to God's life in us, around us, and ultimately God's new heaven and new earth for eternity. It struck me, actually just last evening, it struck me that when we're walking on the narrow way without our baggage, well, where does our food come from? Where does our health come from? Where does everything come from? Well, did you ever read about walking with Jesus? People walked up to Jesus who couldn't really walk. They actually had people carrying them. They went away walking. People came hungry and Jesus fed them. People came dead actually and Jesus raised them from the dead so when we're on that narrow path Jesus provides whatever we want you know here's the thing I was thinking about as I was thinking this message made me think about a lot of things I realized that in just six months from now Pastor Alex is going to become the lead pastor of New Life. I'm going to pass the baton of leadership to Pastor Alex. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking what would somebody who's standing on the wide road look at me and say what they might say is, you spent 22 years of your life, you never made what you were worth, you, you always were building stuff for other people, and now you basically are walking away. What do you have? You don't have anything. That's what somebody on the wide road would say. Somebody on the narrow road, on the other hand, might say this, such a small sacrifice from day to day, getting up early, working long days, vesting time, talent, treasure, and touch, and one person here, a dozen people there, hundreds of people here, you know, many people there. One person responded to Jesus after hundreds of hours of time invested, and that made a difference for all eternity. Each moment invested was another glimmer of the Zoe life that God created us to live before the foundation of the universe. Jesus did not come to the world to preach sermons. Jesus did not come to the world to give us commands and mandates. He didn't come to the world so we would realize how bad we are and how good he is. He certainly didn't come only to fill our suitcases with stuff. Jesus came that we may have life, zoe, and have it in abundance now and forever. The truth is, as we're walking on the wide road, as we're believing the devil's lies, the world's lies, our own self-deceptions, we can't imagine the joy that could come from leaving that way and walking on the narrow way that leads to life. We can't imagine how light it is not to carry all the world's baggage until we put it down. Here's a second strange idea American Christians have come to believe about the wide and narrow ways. It's this. Jesus is coming back soon, so there's no point in working hard to change the world. Now, please understand, the idea that Jesus is coming back soon, that's not a strange idea. He is coming back soon. In fact, you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, soon? Like he died 2,000 years ago. He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. He can't be coming back soon because it's been 2,000 years. Well, remember what? The psalmist said about God, for God a thousand years are as a day. So Jesus has been gone for two days, the way he thinks about it. You know, so uh, Jesus is coming back any day now. It could be in our days or it could be in his days, but he is coming back. So that's not strange. What's strange is that those of us who are walking on the narrow road could imagine a time when we get to stop working hard. Every single parable that Jesus ever told about a master going away, which meant him, 
and, and leaving his stewards in charge says something about what happens when the master comes back. What happens when the master comes back is they get more responsibility if they've been faithful with what they've been entrusted now. You know, some picture the next life as an eternal, just we're singing holy, 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 forever. That's all we ever get to do. Now, please understand, we ought to be worshiping God, and worshiping God is something that if everybody in the world was doing here, it would be a better world. But if we want the clearest image of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back, we need to look at the last two chapters of the book of, of, book of Revelation, last two chapters in the Bible, because in those last two chapters, what happens is Jesus tells us what it's going to be like. Well, first off, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Some people think we're just going to go to heaven, and, and here's what I was taught when I was growing up. I don't know why. Maybe I just figured this out for myself, and it was wrong, but I was taught that we're all going to go to this place of clouds where we're all going to play a harp, and we're all going to be wearing bed sheets. And that did not sound like fun to me. I don't really like harps that much. Um, and I certainly don't want to wear a bread, bed sheet for the rest of my life. And I don't really want to sit around in the clouds. So thank God I read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. You know what it says there? There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. And it actually says kings are going to come in there. Kings. Well, where are they coming from? They're coming from outside. They're coming from this earth. And what are those kings going to do? The same thing we're going to do if we're not kings. We're going to worship God. We're going to serve him forever. We're going to fulfill the purpose for which we were created at the beginning of creation. You know why we were created? To co-rule with God. Everybody's going to be a king and queen in the, in the new heaven and new earth. And right in the center of that city is going to be the tree of life, which means we're going to be able to live forever with God in the center, not even going to need to be any sun or moon or whatever, because God himself will be our light. There's not going to be any more crying, mourning, tears, nothing like that in the new world that we're going to live in. So, why is it that people don't want to go there? Why is it people don't want to follow the narrow road? Maybe it's because they don't wear the, know where the narrow road leads. <laughs> and maybe it's because everybody at, we, at the end of the narrow road, before we get to go into the city, we have to bow down and worship Jesus. And some people just don't want to bow down and worship anybody or anything except themselves. Dallas Willard was a pastor and philosopher, and he once said this, hell is the best God can do for some people. Hell is the best God can do for some people. You know what he meant? He meant that some people, Jesus said it's many people, want to be in charge. They want to indulge their own desires. They want to live their way, do whatever they want, whenever they want. They see the good life as focusing on them, but that's the wide road. That's the road that is full of all kinds of baggage. And Jesus said that road leads to hell. Walking the narrow way means making many sacrifices from the perspective of those who are standing on the wide road. But it's not really a sacrifice at all. Because those who are standing on the wide road, you know, the wide road works until it doesn't. The wide road is filled with good stuff until it isn't. The wide road is fulfilling right up to the moment that it drops off a cliff to destruction. That's how the devil works. He deceives us into thinking that easy is better and that wider is good. Thankfully, Jesus offered us a different opportunity, the narrow and difficult way that leads to life, God's life here and now and forever. It provides joy along the way, meaning not just happiness from our circumstance, but a deep sense of well-being in the middle of the challenges and difficulty we'll face. When we sang that second song, that new song today, 
I, I, as we were singing about God's provision and God's going to bring breakthrough, that's the truth. But what's also the truth is it might not come until we get to the end of the narrow road. I've been praying for a certain person to get physically healed for 20 years. And he hasn't. And he's still here. And one day, he is going to be better. He's going to get his breakthrough. But it might not be. He might get healed in this life and be able to walk down the narrow road on his own two feet. But if he isn't, he's going to be walking on his own two feet in the new heaven and new earth. Rather, We need to understand that. So here's the third final strange idea that we have as American Christians about the wide and narrow way. Because few people find and walk the narrow way, we need to make it easier so more people will follow Jesus. That is so strange. Because if we make the, the narrow way wide, guess what? It's not Jesus' road anymore. It's not Jesus' way anymore. When people say Jesus' instructions, for example, about sexuality are too hard, so let's get more realistic and let's go along with the culture, they forget that Jesus' ideas weren't just rejected by the average people in his world, but by the religious leaders too. Jesus made it clear that his way is always going to be rejected by the masses. The majority will always prefer easy over difficult, which brings me to a difficult point. <laughs> like I haven't brought up any difficult points today, right? But I come to a difficult point, and here it is. As a church, we have a lot of people, more than 90% of churches have in a, across America. Like if you went to all the churches in America, we are larger than 90% of the churches. So does that mean that we're offering the easy way, the wide way that leads to destruction because there's so many of us? I have to ask that question because some churches with only a few people think that they only have a few people because they're being faithful. The idea sort of makes some sense, right? If the way is narrow and hard that leads to life and few find it, then maybe the small churches are the ones that are being faithful. Is it possible for so many people here at New Life to be walking the narrow way? The short answer is, of course it is. I did the math. The, all the people of New Life represent one ten millionth of the people in the world. In other words, for every one of us, there's 10 million other people in the world. I would say that puts us in the minority. If somebody came to me and said, you're one and I'm 10 million, but you're in the majority, huh, I would know they aren't very good at math, right? One out of 10 million people. That's what new life represents. So all of us could be walking on the narrow way, but here's the so what that Jesus wants us to ask ourselves. Are we? Are we walking on the narrow path that leads to life? Have we come to the turnstile and have we left some baggage behind? Have we continued to walk day by day in the way that leads to life? Zoe life, not just the stuff that the world gives. It is going to be left behind when, when we die, but the stuff that's going to stay with us forever. You know, have, what, what kind of baggage? When I look at this baggage, this is material baggage, but you know there's all kinds of baggage, right? There's spiritual baggage, there's emotional baggage, there's mental baggage. So the devil wants us to be distracted. He wants us to have so much baggage of all kinds that our hands are full, our lives are full, and we can't receive the gift of new life that Jesus offers us. Because when we receive that gift, we not only don't have burdens of all that baggage, but we actually have the freedom to give and share with other people as well. Now, I've given us a lot to think about. I know I've been thinking a lot about what all this means as I think about walking the narrow way. I read a statistic as I was preparing this message about pastors. 
for every 10 pastors that start in the ministry in America, how many do you think finish as pastors, like finish the road as a pastor? One. One out of 10. So the road, the narrow road, it's hard for everybody. It's not just hard for people that are out there working in the real world. It's hard for every single person. Now, I can see the finish line of the part of the narrow highway that is my pastoring thing, but guess what? If Jesus is coming back in a day or two and it's a thousand or two more years, then I might have a couple years or 10 years or even 20 years, 30 at the outside, man, maybe 40. I could be 106, right? I might have four more, 40 more years to live after I'm done being faithful, being a pastor, and it will still be a narrow road. All those years, it's still going to be a narrow road. And however many days, weeks, months, years, decades you have left, it's always going to be a narrow road. So if the Lord wills, and you have 20 more years left, or decades left, or Jesus comes back tomorrow, either way, we have the opportunity to start right now or continue Walking on the narrow way that leads to life with God, not just here, but forever. To do that, we're going to need to let go of some baggage. So we can do that by following today's next step. The next step is simply the action point from the message. Here it is. I will examine my baggage this week and leave one thing behind that's keeping me from walking through the narrow gate. Living the new life in Jesus gives us... A transformed life, as I said, from the inside out. That's why Jesus called it being born again. We, we don't live the old life, the natural life that we were born with. We get a new spiritual life that's going to live forever. And as we change on the inside, you know what? What matters on the outside also starts to change. What one thing is it that you're going to put down this week? Okay, you're carrying all your luggage and, and you come to the turnstile. What are you going to put down this week? Is it a physical thing? Like, do you have too many suitcases? Or is it a spiritual thing? Maybe there's some belief that you've been holding that you need to let go of. Maybe it's an, an emotional thing. There's a relationship going on and you know it's bad and, and you should end that, but you, 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 you feel like you get something from it. What is it? Whatever that is, imagine if each of us dropped one of our suitcases, metaphorically speaking. How much easier would it be to walk and follow the hard, narrow way without all that baggage? And how long is it going to be hard? Till we see Jesus. It's a long, long way. So the lighter the load, the easier the road. Huh, I just made that up right now. <laughs> the lighter the load, the easier the road. Amen? All right, 14 of us agree. Okay, so the only way, the only way we're ever going to get through the turnstile is to put down some baggage. And so if you're standing here with your baggage today, you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, and now you know there's a narrow road and there's a wide road, and you've been on the wide road, but you want to come onto the narrow road, then the first thing is to do this, put some of this stuff down. And we say here at New Life, following Jesus is simple. It's not easy. We already explained it's not easy. But it's as simple as ABC. A means to admit. Admit that we have been on the wide road that we've been walking on a path that leads to destruction. We need to admit that before we're going to change direction. Then B, we need to believe. Believe that Jesus came from heaven. He is the son of the living God, and he came here to live a perfect life and then to die on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? To save us from our sins. So he's Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death, and Lord. Oh, one real quick tangent. I have to say this to everybody. I was talking to somebody this week who said death is natural. 
do you know that death is not natural? Like, death is not a natural thing. We die because of sin. We don't die because it's a natural thing we would do. I mean, the Lion King says, you know, the, the, the lion dies and goes into the ground, and antelope eats the grass, and then the grass eats, antelope gets eaten by the lion. You know, that's the cycle of life. No, that's the cycle of death. It happens because sin entered the world. And, and so as I get back to the point, Jesus saves us from that. The cycle of death is over whenever Jesus comes into our life. Yes, we're going to die physically. Yes, we're going to go into the ground. And I guess if we get fed to the antelopes, that's okay. But the reality is we won't be there. We'll have a new body, a new life that goes forever. And we're never going to die again. There is no death in heaven, no cemeteries in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm a little passionate about this. You might be able to tell. Okay, C. C, oh, I almost forgot B, Lord, huh, that's the one it's easy to forget. Lord means we walk the narrow road. Lord means we do what he says when he says because he's in charge. And then C, which is confess to God and to anybody that will listen, that God is the creator of everything that exists, that his son Jesus is Savior and Lord in our lives, and that the Holy Spirit, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us up because we can't do it. Nothing that is of eternal value can be done in our flesh, in our sinful nature, in our wide road kind of capacity. Only when God has given us salvation through his son Jesus and we have received the Holy Spirit will we live the kind of life that is the narrow road life that leads to the presence of God forever. So if you're ready to do that, you've never done it before, you're ready to do that today, then I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pretend I'm you and it's not hard for me to pretend because I'm not pretending. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need Jesus. I know all these things are true. So I will pray and then you can pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here, for existing, for creating everything that exists, for being here eternally. God, I admit to you that I've been on the wide road far too often and that I've enjoyed the, the things of this world the, the, the just too much. But right now, in this moment, I believe that your son Jesus came here as a little baby who grew up to be a man who lived perfectly in all of those moments. And then he died on the cross for me. And in that moment, death was defeated. And I have the opportunity of a new life now and forever, and I accept it. And, and I accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then, God, I confess to you, and I will confess to my family and friends and anyone who will listen that you are in charge of my life and I need your spirit so that I can live with that new life at the center. And God, I pray for all of us who have prayed a prayer like that sometime in our life that we will be filled anew with your Holy Spirit, that we will get to live the kind of life that glorifies you and that ultimately leads to a permanent life with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.